Good morning, Connection Church. Glad y'all are here to worship with us this morning on Memorial Day weekend. I know the weather's not like sunny beach weather here at least, but um, glad to see everybody who is in town and is here. And man, it's a great morning. And a couple of quick announcements before we dive into scripture where we picked off, um, picked up from where we picked off last week. But one, we're having our medical mission trip interest meeting in the break room directly after the service. And so after service, I'll try to kind of scoot out and then meet you guys over there, but probably about 12, 20, 12, 30, right after service, we'll meet in the break room. For those of you interested in that, at the end of July, excited to see y'all and talk more about it. And then two, um, we just wanna honor Memorial Day. It's an awesome you know, weekend, it's a you know, holiday, obviously, that we wanna honor the, the, the men and women, the soldiers who lost their lives in, in battle and war and dying for this country. And so with that being said, if anyone's in the military or has served in the military, would you stand up at this time? We wanna honor you guys for serving if that's anybody, yeah. Good, awesome. Thank y'all so much, amen, amen. And so with that being said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and let's, let's dive into John chapter eight. Father, thank you for um, the men and women who serve this country. God, thank you that we, we are free. We get to come and worship. God, we don't have a government putting a lock on the doors or security at the, at the way in, Father. Thank you for that freedom to come and to clearly hear your word. God, I pray that you bless this, the teaching of your word, and that you open our eyes and open our hearts to see and to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, well, I'm gonna pick up in John chapter eight, verse 31, in just a minute, where we left off last week. And Steve, y'all were here last week, did such a good job of preaching, kind of the previous 20 verses before that. And that's where there's an iconic statement where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And I know at some point, if you've grown up anywhere in Southeast America, you've heard that. Anywhere in America, you've heard that before. He said, I am the light of the world. And it's in this very context in verse 30, at the very end of that whole kind of sermonette, if you wanna call it, that dialogue, when he's talking about he's the light of the world and he's the hope of the world, it says, and many believed in him. And as I was studying scripture, verse 31, which, which we're about to speak from this week, it starts off saying, to the Jews who believed him. And so as you're reading, but and as I read it, it seemed kind of like he was, as the text went on, he was almost angry at them or confronting them. And so I looked more into the word and, and long story short, and, and there's, there's two different main, or ways that the word believe in Greek is used throughout the gospels. And one's with a preposition, one's without. And one is to believe into, to put your faith into Christ, to put your belief into Christ. And the other is a passive belief that doesn't have the preposition of into. And I was looking at the scripture and I was studying it incorrectly. And as I came back and kind of referenced it with a lot of things, it changed everything about this sermon because Jesus is speaking to the Jews who were bandwagon believers. And I don't know if y'all know what a bandwagon believer is or a bandwagon, bandwagon fan. Let's just take a little test because I know that can hit. Raise your hand if, if you would call yourself a Georgia fan. Okay, most of us. Be honest, raise your hand if you became a Georgia fan the past three years. Man, we got some liars in. Yeah, well, okay, I, I know a lot of y'all, y'all don't even know what college football was about. All of a sudden, red and black, red and black, you know. And then uh, I think of some NBA fans. I think of, I have a lot of friends and I love basketball and the NBA. And I remember when Steph Curry first got famous, all of a sudden, everybody in their, in their brother's a Golden State fan and they've been ride or die Golden State since they were like 10, they say. And I'm like, man, y'all didn't even know Golden State Warriors was a team until Steph Curry got there. And so, once again, the bandwagon fans came, but this is kind of the context because at the beginning of John chapter eight, it starts off with they're trying to stone a woman caught in adultery, and then, y'all know what happened there, Blake preached 
you know, so well not two weeks ago. Then last week, he goes into, as he's going to the temple, he talks about he's the light of the world, the hope of the world, as he's at the temple courts. And so he's kind of got this following. They're waiting to see what he's gonna say next. They're beginning to believe in him, be like, man, I actually trust what he's saying. But in this context, as they're following him, they say, we believe you, and they're here to listen. He turns and speaks directly to them. And, there, and here's where the, conver, uh, the conversation starts. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, or had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he's already challenging that, that faith. Is this a real faith? If you really are my disciples, you'll hold to my teaching, you'll continue in my word and the truth will set you free. And watch this, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? They're like, we don't have any chains? Set free from what? What are you talking about? Verse 34, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And in the original language is everyone who continues in sin, meaning we always have been in sin, is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Ooh, this would've hit home, because they called themselves sons of Abraham, right? So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word in your heart. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And they would have assumed that they were part of the family of God since they were physical descendants from the lineage of Abraham about 2,000 years prior and they were part of the Jewish people, God's chosen people ever since the beginning to be a light to, to reveal himself to the rest of the world. So they just assumed they were, hey, we're part of the family, we're good, right? And watch how they answer. They say, 39, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. And so he's challenging this whole narrative of what they believe their whole life. And he says, if, if you were Abraham's real children, you would do what he did. Now, what did Abraham do? We know he's mentioned several times. I mean, he, the story in the Old Testament is in Genesis, but he's mentioned several times in the New Testament as kind of a model of faith, a model of obedience. He had faith in God and the coming Messiah, he believed and obeyed God. And they're still thinking biologically, like actual bloodline. He's talking about spiritually, right? And so that would be equivalent to someone today being like, hey, are you a Christian? And you're like, yeah, I go to church. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a son of Abraham. I'm in the lineage, right? Or, hey, um, are you a Christian? And you're like, yeah, my whole family goes to church. And even uh, Steve Edwards, who preached last week, he talked about that was his story, how he grew up in church. His father was the pastor, but yeah, he didn't have a real faith until later. And so that's kind of that's the context of where they're at a couple thousand years ago. Let's keep reading in verse 40. He says, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. They say this, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Ooh, there was two big statements they just made, two big claims. One, they said, we're not illegitimate children. So they're, they're like, okay, if you're gonna challenge us by Abraham being our father and we're not like him, I get it, whatever. And they say, well, one, we're not illegitimate children. What do you think they meant by that? Well, there's a rumor going around that Mary got pregnant before she actually was married to Joseph. Uh-oh. So they're being offensive right here. They're like, hey, your mama's a, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, hey, uh, we're not illegitimate. If anybody is, don't, don't talk about my dad. Look at your dad, who's your daddy? Right, like that's what they're trying to say. And then they go on to say, our father, it's crazy thinking then talking to the Lord like that, right? But it's like, 
He says, the only father we have is God himself. Well, now they went from Abraham to claim it just God himself. And Jesus says to this, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Ooh, that's a mic drop moment if there ever was one. These are teachers of the law. Jewish people, a part of the, the, the physical bloodline of Abraham and his descendants. And he looks at them and says, you're sons of Satan. Your father's the devil. Wow. I don't know, like standing before the Lord, or I, I don't know of a scarier, more traumatic truth to like someone say to you, hit you in the face. Like I really don't. I'll tell you, <laughs> I got a couple gym buddies in here. I'm not gonna say their names, but next time they stand me up for a 6 a.m. workout, I'm just gonna copy paste that text, but we'll keep moving. <laughs> Continuing to verse 44. He says, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Well, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Point blank. I'm telling you the truth. Like, listen up. I'm telling you the truth. And I'm right in front of you. You can't see me and you can't hear me. Why? Because you don't belong to me. The whole purpose of this passage, Jesus is trying to make it very clear. If you really are my disciples, here's what that looks like. And if you don't look like this, guess what? You're not my actual disciple. You're not an actual, you don't actually believe in me. You don't actually have true faith in me. And so from the get-go, he's talking to these, these followers that are crowded around him outside the temple, same followers we talked about last week. They've come, they like what they hear, they believe what he's saying, but he's challenging, is it a real faith or not? Is it a real belief or not? And it's the same type of crowd that earlier in John chapter two, Jesus said, I won't trust myself for him, in him because I know what's in man. It's the same crowd in John chapter six, two chapters prior, when he says, if you wanna follow me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and deny yourself, and he says, many of, many of them left him at that time. It's the same type of, the, the type of crowd that was superficial, and he's challenging what it really looks like. And so, really quick, I wanna break down the contrast between what a true follower of Jesus is based off this passage, these first 16 verses or so, and what one is not. And I pray it's, it's pretty eye-opening, but one, I kinda just put the heading fake followers. We could put sons of Satan. I just didn't wanna start off too heavy. <laughs> But fake followers, the first characteristic of, of a non-follower of Jesus Christ is you're a slave. You're a slave to sin. In verse 34, if we rewind and go back to where we're reading, it says, he says, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Ding, ding, quick question. Who sins? Everybody. Exactly. And so like, that's, that's scary news, right? And, and the crazy thing is, is we are born into spiritual slavery, most of us would say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect. Like we would acknowledge that. But most of us probably wouldn't acknowledge the statement, I'm a spiritual slave, I'm a slave to sin. But that's, that's the harsh reality. Um, Romans 6, 17 through 18 says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
A few verses later it says, for the wages of sin is death. And so I'm just trying to make it clear that we are born into spiritual slavery ever since the fall, and we were born, we know this, we would all agree with this, but I want the eyes to be open because I think what Satan does is says, well, you sin just like everybody else. Like your sin is not any worse than hers over there. Look at her, look at him. And we talk about this in heart and soul about justifying or playing the comparison game. But ultimately, we're gonna see how they, they kind of play that game right here. But if, when you're born into this world, you're born into spiritual slavery. And the hard part is, they couldn't even see it. You saw them, they said that like in verse 33 or so, set free from what? We're Abraham, we were raised in church. We, we've, we've been at the temple since we were a, a babies. We're Abraham's descendants, slaves from what? And it reminds me of a story because we're all in this sin and we can't see it unless God opens our eyes to the harsh reality of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And we are a slave to selfishness and sin and rebellion towards God and we might not realize it, but that's the, that's the, that's the cold truth. And I reminded, I remember I was in youth group and I think it was a church camp or something years ago and it still stuck with me. And I don't remember the science behind it. I, I think I do, but I'll try. I wish I'd sounded like super accurate and smart, but if you put a frog in a pot of water and turn the stove on boiling, he doesn't have time to adapt to realize, his brain to realize how hot the water's getting before it's too late. And the time it takes the water to boil, it's not long enough for him to adapt to the temperature of the water. And so with the lid off, the frog could jump out, but he doesn't and he will die because he never saw it coming. He didn't even realize he was in danger until it was too late. And that's what the Lord is saying. It's like, hey, I came to set y'all free so you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. I am the truth. He says that later. But you don't, can't even hear me because you're a slave to sin. And so one, man, the first thing is being a, a non-follower of Christ is whether you wanna admit it or not, like that's the truth, whether you believe it or not, you are a slave to sin. Secondly, you're hostile towards God. You're hostile towards Christ. There's, and we see this here. There's no genuine love for God in your life. Verse 42 and 44, he said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is this language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Right before that, he said, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Frankly put, Jesus literally says, you don't love me. You're not of my father because if you were, you would love me and you don't love me and my word has no place in you. And once again, I think, I think, I think Satan and the brokenness and the sinfulness and the demonic forces of this world, Ephesians 6 talks about, I think he's done a really good job of blinding us because I think just like these, these Jewish people, they didn't think of themselves as I hate God. Like they thought they were on God's team, right? Like I don't think anyone walked in here and was like, I'm actively hating Jesus as I walk in here. Like if you're a non-believer in the room, I've met some believers, there, there's, there's, there is a space for that. There are some believers that because of things happening in your life, you question God's goodness. You might came in here, you might have came in here with some bitterness, some anger, some, some jealousy, some strife, whatever. And you might come in here honestly hating God. And praise God you're here because he'll meet you right there. But 
most unbelievers I have met don't think they're sitting in a place, like they're not like I actively hate God. They just say like, oh, I'm indifferent or that's just not me or I don't believe that or I believe this. They don't, they don't at least acknowledge they're an enemy of God because I think that what the enemy wants to do is to blind us from seeing the truth that we're in a spiritual war and we're either a slave to sin or a child of God. And let me just show you some language the Bible uses because we can't play good versus evil on our own terms. I can't just justify what makes sense to me or the culture or the world I'm living in or, or this day and time in 2023. I can't look at others and, and, and formulate absolute truth. I've gotta go through the truth and see what he says. I can't play God and be like, well, that makes sense for salvation, therefore I'll believe that. What does he say? And listen to this language. In James 4, 4, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? That's a fancy word for hostility or an opposition to. 1 John 2.22 says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Jesus is the Messiah. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. He's not talking about the coming of the Antichrist in Revelation there. He's talking about if you deny Jesus as the Messiah and Lord of your life, you are Antichrist. You are against Christ. And so even, I love Romans, I think it's so beautiful, it lays it out, 5.10 says, for if, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? The Bible makes it very clear that you're either a rebellious, slave to sin, enemy of God, or you're free in a loving relationship as a child of God. And I think what the enemy wants us to do is like, man, I'm, just, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a slave. I could change. I, I can get better. I'm gonna just do me. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just be my best self. I'm just, figure, I'm just growing like everybody else. I'm just figuring it out. I'm a sinner, but not a slave. That's what the world wants to say. And also, hey, man, I don't love God. I'm not the best. I'm not that religious, but like, man, I'm a good person. I'm not an enemy towards God, right? And so the, the enemy wants to water that down and make it feel like it's not that bad. It's just like the middle of the road right here. But no, this language is strong that one, you're a slave to sin, and two, Jesus looks at them in the face and says, you don't love me. Wow. Third characteristic, they couldn't hear or obey the word of God. He literally said, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear it. You physically can't hear me. And then a few verses later, he says, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You can't hear me, and the reason you can't hear me is because you're not my son. You're not my child. See, they could quote the Old Testament scriptures, yet they, didn't really hear, they couldn't really hear God. Like Abraham's a prime example of hearing and obeying God, and he's, like I said before, kind of the test of obedience and belief. And they're like, hey, but wait, we're Abraham's children. It's like, hey, if you really were, you would believe in me. But wait, we're, God's our father. No, if, if he really was, you would love me. I love how 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Just a, a few verses later in chapter two, it says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. He is looking at them and talking about things of the spirit which are more real than the physical and they can't see or hear it. And he says, it's because you're not my son, you can't understand it. And because you don't have my spirit, you can't even hear it. And that's crazy because there's a cool story. Uh, Kate, Billy's wife, she was walking with a young lady and trying to read the Bible with her. And it didn't really make sense. 
Fast forward, she gets saved months later, and she comes back, and she's just loving it. And she said, wait a minute, is this why I couldn't understand it before I was saved? And she says, absolutely. Now, does that mean when you have the Spirit, does that mean you can read Leviticus and just quote the whole Bible all of a sudden and understand it? No, but what it does mean is that now the Holy Spirit can minister to your soul in a way that you understand and know God more. But before that, it just sounds good. To be honest, before that, there's, there's not much different in your mind between scripture from the Bible and the latest, what's the word, motivational speaker doing an Instagram quote. You know what I'm saying? Like it sounds, oh, just positive vibes, just good feels, whatever, right? Send the waves that way. Like it's, it sounds good, it looks good, but it's a lot of nothing versus truth. And until we can discern and be a child of God, we can't hear truth. And so I'm praying this morning that this passage is opening and softening the hearts. Let's keep going. I'll just recap really quick the three characteristics from this passage that are obvious. If you're not a real follower of Christ, you're, you're stuck always were a slave, but still stuck in slavery to sin. You're an enemy to God. You're not just indifferent. You're an enemy to God. You don't love him, and you can't hear his voice. Therefore, you want to obey him. And next, let's contrast that where he talks about what a child of God is, right? He says, you're no longer, slave. you're no longer slaves. He says, so who the son sets free, son referring to himself, he'll be free indeed. And so the reason he came, he says, I've come, to set the captives free in Isaiah. In Psalms, he says he looked down from heaven to release those from the dungeon. Later, and a few, a few chapters later, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I learned overseas, I had, to, I had to memorize it for a reason, but he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Pilate, right before he's about to get crucified, in John chapter 18, Pilate says, is what they're saying real? Are you really some king? And he says, you say correctly, that's the reason I came to this world, to proclaim the truth. The whole reason he came was to proclaim the truth. And, oh yeah, he is the word, he is the truth. And the whole thing that God prophesied about him from Genesis all the way to Matthew was that I'm sending my son to proclaim the truth and set the captives three, free. So the first prerequisite, whatever, step to becoming a child of God is you've acknowledged I'm a slave to sin the, the scales of our eyes have been revealed and I see I'm in a dead spiritual slavery. Ephesians 2, 1 says, but you are dead in your sins and trespasses. Not from bad to good, dead to life. And he says, you are dead in your sin, but by the grace of God, you are raised in a new way of life. And so the first thing to be a child of God is you have to truly come to Christ, not a bandwagon belief, but to be a follower. The first characteristic of being a child of God is simple. You have to come to Christ to be set free. And what are you set free from? You're set free from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin. It now doesn't have the ultimate authority in your life. You now, for the first time in your life, can say no to sin. Two, you're free from the past, present, and future of the lifestyle of sin. And three, you're free from the penalty of sin. Romans 6. 20, uh, 323, sorry, Romans 6, 23 talks about the penalty of sin. It says, and we said it earlier, the pen, like the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. Now, I can't remember if I said this earlier in the last service, but death as the Bible defines it, whenever it says death, it always refers to eternal separation from God. You know, we're immortal. Whoa, what are you talking about? We're gonna live forever. Our souls are immortal. This corpse we have on right now isn't. 
but our souls are immortal. God created us to live forever in his image. Now we're either gonna be with him, aka eternal life, John 17, three, or we're gonna be deaf, which is eternal separation from God, aka we call and know so well as hell. We are immortal, and when he refers to death, it is way more than old age or a car accident or something like that on this temporary mist of, of, of life on earth. It is a eternal separation from God, and eternal life is eternal closeness with God. And so, wow. <laughs> That's kind of heavy, but being a child of God, first and foremost, God, thank you. As a child of God, we are set free from that. We are free. He came to set the captives free. Mm. And because of that, number two can happen. Number two is there's a love for God. We hear his voice and we obey him. Notice how he said, if you really are my disciples, you will continue in my word. Come on, like they didn't read the scriptures to know God. They read them just to be able to quote stuff and justify themselves. They didn't really read the scriptures to know God more. They just kind of got puffed up on knowledge and that's what they had to do. That was their Jewish schooling of the time. They just had to memorize it for the test, so to speak, right? Like, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be legalistic here in like workspace where you have to read your Bible every day and continue in the word in order to be saved. I don't think that's the heart, but we can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater and ignore the fact that Jesus literally just said, if you really are my disciple, you will continue in my word. Like, let's, before we rationalize and explain that away, yes, I don't think this extreme of like, you have to be in the word every day this many times a day or else you're not saved, but we also can't say that's not important. He just said it. And so he says, if you continue in my word, what I think he's saying is, if you really know me, if you really are a disciple, if you really are a child of God, you'll have a desire to know me. There will be affection in your life. There will be a love in your life that yearns to know God more. Yes, we can suppress it. Yes, we live in a world where we backslide. Yes, we live amongst a place where we're in the world, not of the world, where everything outside of us is most likely pulling you away from Jesus. And that's just the harsh reality of a broken world we live in. It is what it is. We gotta deal with it. But praise God, he says, he who is in us is greater than he who is of the world. And so I'm not saying we have to be perfect. I'm not saying we have to be completely like Christ in every moment of the day. But what I am saying that is obviously clear, if you really are a follower of Christ, there will be some, there will be a sincere love and affection to know him more and to pursue him. There's a cool story that Ronnie Smith shared a few Friday nights ago, or I can't remember how long it was ago, a month ago, two months ago, whatever, at our Connection Family Weekend. And awesome family, he and his wife have raised just like, I think it's five children in the Lord, like one of the godliest family I know. My, my, brother, my brother-in-law, who's a pastor of Connection Dublin, but um, Ronnie Smith had a big influence um, really discipling him. And anyway, I think the world of him, he shared a story where one of his kids, pretty, pretty intelligent, pretty quick, pretty clever, at a very young age, it really seemed like he understood the gospel. It really seemed like at an early age, he thoroughly understood the gospel and it wasn't just head knowledge. It seemed like he understood like with his whole being what the gospel was and he really wrestled. He says, me and my wife talked about it. I kept telling him, you're not ready yet. He was trying to like wait because he didn't want him to pray to receive Christ and have like a false salvation story in his whole life him go thinking he's good but never really know Christ. But finally, 
he, he kept holding them off, kept holding them off, kept holding them off, not trying to deter him, but trying to be a wise father. And finally, he got to where he felt like he was confident his son knew, understood his sin and slavery to sin and the freedom in Christ and what true surrender meant of him being Lord of your life. And so finally, he prayed with him to, re to receive the Lord or led him to receive the Lord and what that looked like. He led him after that and baptized him. But years later, he's in high school and he looks to the side and they're in worship one Sunday morning and he looks over and he sees his son singing and he looks back at his wife and he's teary-eyed and he says, our son is still dead. He doesn't know the Lord. He said, there's no affection for God in that boy. There's no love for God. And this is a man who had family time like two or three times a week with Bible stories. They were there every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. This is a man who, if anybody raised in the Lord, I know he did and his wife did. If, if, if anyone knew how to give the right answers, his son did. And he looks at him and he says, the easiest way he could tell he wasn't truly a child of God is there was no love for God in him. And I have to beg, I mean, it begs me to ask some really hard questions, but I just wanna lay this out in a very clear way because did you know, this might challenge some theology, you know, praise the Lord, but like nowhere in the Bible does it say pray this prayer and you'll be saved. Jesus is a lot less focused on a moment or a prayer. He talks about his sons or his daughters or his children versus not, or his true disciples versus not. He never talks about a moment. He talks about the fruit of what that leads to. He never talks about, did you have this on this day or the day of Pentecost or whatever? He talks about, here's what the life will look like who follow me. Here's what they'll love like. Here's what they'll be like. And it's crazy because, yes, I believe it does happen in a moment. It's instantaneous. We do believe that's scriptural. But what can happen if we're not careful is it gets watered down to where salvation becomes this transaction instead of a transformation. Salvation becomes something that I can pray and really mean it and do it in the moment, but 10 years later, God can look at your life and say, hey, you don't love me. You can't even hear me. There's no desire to obey me. You're still a slave to sin. You've never even been free from it. You're a son of Satan. He looks at teachers of the law, like out of all people, that, that's the people in their society that said, if anyone's righteous, I wanna be like them. Like, they, I wanna be as close to God as they are. Like, they were, they were teachers of the law. They were like the upper echelon of the, the morality in their society right then. And Jesus looks at teachers of the law and says, your father's the devil. You hate me, you have no love for me, you don't know me, I don't know you. And we have to sit in that because if there is no sincere, I'm not talking about a love for church. I know I love when the family gets together, we dress up, we go out to eat and I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, that feels good. I'm not talking about a love for church. I'm not talking about something that's self-gratifying that feels good or I feel like I'm becoming a better person or I feel like I'm doing this or I feel like I'm bettering myself. I'm not talking about some weird twisted tree branch that came from a selfish root. I'm talking about is there a sincere love for Christ in your heart? If there's not, it would be very foolish to not realize he might be talking to you right now too. Let's keep going. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now that I'm in Christ, I can hear his voice. 
Scripture's being preached, when it's being read, when I'm reading, having my devotionals, when I'm reading the Word, guess what? The Word cuts me. It challenges me. It encourages me. It heals me. It convicts me. It redeems me. It transforms me. Once again, we said this earlier, but before you're in Christ, you might as well be a motivational speaker. But not only do I hear God's voice, but because I love him, there's obedience. The same way he used Abraham as an example. He loved me, he believed in me, therefore he obeyed me. Watch this, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you really wanna know, like, man, I think I love God, I'm really not sure, is there any desire to know God or obey God or hear God or pursue God or get in his word? Man, is there any desire that's not selfishly rooted in your heart? And if not, Jesus is making it pretty clear. He's not, trying to, he's not trying to argue with you. I have several staff members, Laura Kilgore, I love her to death, and she's such a woman of the Lord, but she talks about how her story's muddy. She, she grew up in the church. She had awesome, just awesome teachings from an early age, and she don't know if she got saved at eight or 12 or 16 or 20. She, she just, as long as she can remember, she knew the Lord. But praise God, we don't have to bank our salvation on like, did I really mean that when I was nine or not? We bank it on, is this the fruit of my life? Is this in my heart or is it not? And so I pray that x-ray is becoming real and we can kind of look in the mirror and see where we're really at this morning. So in conclusion to this first thing, and we'll read the, their response in a second. Maybe today you're hearing this for the first time or maybe you've heard this before, but today it's making sense for the first time. And when you're confronted with the truth, you have two options. You can submit up under it or you can utterly reject it. Justify, blame, shift, whatever. You can either submit or reject it. And let's look at, we're about to read the, the last 11 or so verses, and let's look at when Jesus tells them their real father's not Abraham, their real father's not God, let's look at whether they submit or reject it. Y'all could probably guess what's gonna happen, but <laughs> we'll continue in verse 48. So the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? <laughs> Pause. Have you ever lost an argument so bad you knew you couldn't justify it, you couldn't blame shift, you couldn't point any other reason, and you just start name calling? Like, <laughs> let's not be too, let's not be too self-righteous here. Now I know me and Cynthia will start, she'll get on to me because I didn't do the dishes or whatever. And I'll finally get, we're like, woman, if you just didn't care so much about worldly things, this wouldn't be a problem. Who cares? I'll try to get all spiritual on her, you know, just to just to justify myself, my laziness. And then, then we'll go, well, hey, if you weren't so lazy or if you weren't so dumb, or if, just, that's her saying that. She talks like that, y'all. No, I'm just kidding. But when you, when you know there's no options left, you resort to just attacking the person. And like, that's what they did right here to Jesus. He debunked everything they said scripturally. And then in verse 48, they say, well, I guess you're just a Samaritan. And they were super racist against Samaritans. They were seen as like half-bloods. They were Jews mixed with other Gentiles. And so they were seen as like, the, the, the bottom of the totem pole, they hated him, and also demon-possessed, right? Super offensive. He ignores the Samaritan jab and says, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you just honor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaim, now we know that you're a demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? This man, Jesus, 
is sitting there telling teachers of the law, you will never die if you obey my word. And quite naturally, they can't hear him. They can't really see him for who he is. And how do they respond? You're crazy. Abraham died. All the prophets died. You're saying we're gonna live forever. And he already, this man already told us we're not true sons of Abraham. We're not true sons of God. And now he's telling us we can live forever if we do follow him. And guess, here's what they say. And it's with emphasis in the original language. Who do you think you are? This is where they start getting angry. They already were angry. This is, where they, this is where it really turns up a little bit. Who do you think you are talking to us like this? Jesus replies, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing, but my Father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do, I do know him and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> Many scholars I would argue over this, whether Abraham literally saw a vision of Christ in the future 2,000 years prior in Genesis or it refers to what Hebrew talks about, how he looked forward to the, Christ, to, to the Messiah in faith. Regardless, we know that Abraham had faith in the coming Messiah and he talks about he saw it and rejoiced. And in verse 57, they say, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Like, yeah, right. Like, once again, you're so crazy. And listen to this. He's not talking to riddles anymore. He's not talking around the bush. He's as direct as direct can be right here in this statement. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, this I am word was Yahweh, the same word used in Exodus at the burning bush, the same word used later against the real God versus false gods in Deuteronomy, the same word in Isaiah 43 about Yahweh coming to be born on earth, the same word he uses several other times throughout John. And so as soon as they would have heard this word, I am, not before Abraham was, I, or Abraham was born, I was, before Abraham was born, or before Abraham was, I am. Whenever he told Moses in the burning bush to go talk to Pharaoh, he said, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me to challenge him on this? He says, tell him, that I am who I am sent you. And so they knew this was the highest name for God in their language. They had to call him Yahweh, like Y-W-H, W-H something else, right? Like it couldn't have, dang, I was on a roll till I wasn't, right? So it could not have, not consonants, but vowels, there we go. It could not have vowels because it was too sacred to even be a word in their language. That's where Yahweh comes from. The highest name for God, and he claims his, you know who I really am? Point blank. I'm God. And I, I, I really wish, the next verse, you know, what we, you know what we could say? I really wish they shouted and yelled and tore their clothes and humbled themselves and cried and laid down prostrated on their face and said, Lord, forgive us. We didn't know who we were talking to. Lord, forgive us because we couldn't see. We didn't see you standing right before me. I wish they would have repented and submitted to the truth, but what do they do? They reject it. Watch this. The same way this chapter opens up with them trying to stone some woman. Watch how it finishes. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. To sum this whole last 30 verses up, they are blind to their bondage and sin, not real followers. 
and they're arguing him about being slaves of sin. And he says, I'm here to set you free. And when they're confronted with the truth, they try to justify themselves. They try to blame shift and name call. But ultimately, what do they do? They reject the truth. And so, church, I have one question for you. And this is the question we started with, we're building up to. I want you to ask yourself, am I really a follower of Jesus? He just laid out some clear, clear fruits of what a follower is and what a follower isn't, right? Am I really a follower of Jesus? And I wanna, I, I think, just make it a little more real because God makes it obvious that we're either a slave to sin or a child of God. And my cousin helped me out. He's in law enforcement. But I got some handcuffs right here. He's used a lot. And it's pretty obvious when I have these handcuffs on. Oh, that was a little tight. <laughs> it's pretty obvious when I have these hand handcuffs on that, that I'm in bondage. It's pretty obvious that, that you, we can see it, right? Like we, can see the, we can see the chains. We can see it obvious, right? It set me free. But what's so scary is the chains we can't see. What's crazy is he's talking to these people, and they say, free from what? We're not slaves. We were raised in the church. We work at the church. 2,000 years ago, that's the equivalent. They were working in the temple. They were teaching in the temple. And I don't know where you're at or how you came in this morning, but to be honest, I just want to get this, this to be personal. Did you know outside of Christ, you can't say no to sin? You don't truly have free will to choose not sin before he's redeemed your heart. We might get better, hear me, we might get better at hiding some sins. We might get better at dressing some up or, or we don't struggle with these, but we struggle with these. We might get better at disguising ourselves and trying to look and, and think we're a good person. But in Isaiah, Jesus says, even your most righteous of deeds is seen as filthy rags inside of God because it's selfish and rebellious in nature and you're a slave to sin. And the enemy's done a great job of we, we're born to this world, we're raised up, we grow up, most of us have families, whatever, and we inherently think we're pretty good. I sin, but I'm not a slave. Well, I'm not super religious, but I don't hate God. And that's a lie from the pit of hell because underneath the physical eyes, what's happening to our heart is this. And I don't know where you're at, but I just know many people in my life, they can't put down the bottle. Pornography and adultery has killed their marriages. They, 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 they chase money and work, and that's their God, and don't spend time anywhere else. I just think of, you, they always have to buy the next thing. Somebody dear in my life right now, they, they, they can't truly forgive. They say, I, you know, a dear friend was told by a family member, hey, I forgive you, but our relationship will never be the same. That's not true forgiveness. Maybe you can't control your temper, you can't sabotage your relationship and you just think if you keep working on yourself, if you just keep bettering yourself, you'll break out of it. But you can't. It makes it very clear that we're dead in our sin and that's the whole reason Christ had to come and die. If there was any other way than him coming to die, do you think he would have done it? That's why he had to come and die. And so I don't know where you're at. You might be at a place where like, hey, I don't have those big sins in my life. I don't have those addictions or illegals or whatever. I don't, I don't have that going on. I, I grew up, I'm pretty good. I kind of grew up in church. I've, you can start naming the list of all the things you haven't done wrong. 
And maybe like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, like, I'm a pretty good person. Like I hadn't hurt anybody. Like I'm, like life's going pretty well. Guess what? That's who Jesus was talking to in this passage. That's who he was talking to. He was talking to people that on the outside, people wanted to be like them. But on the inside, he's like, you can't even see it, but you're, I came to set y'all free, but you're slaves. And they're like, slaves for what? Like, set free from what? We're free. We're good. They didn't say this explicitly, but what they thought is, I'm righteous. I'm justified. I'm good. God accepts me how I am. God loves me how I am. And what, he, what they didn't realize is no. Before Christ, there's not much to love. but praise God, he meets us right where we are. And he says, I've come to set you free. And so I don't know if you're the person in the room that has grown up in church your whole life. Steve has that testimony and then getting saved later in college or you just barely made it in the door. But I think something that's scary, Francis Chan always quotes this verse and it stuck out to me one time in, in Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I'm afraid that the Jews we just read about arguing back and forth with Jesus, that's exactly the response they got when they died. And I'm afraid, I think Francis Chan says it so well, one of his biggest fears is that so many church-going Christians will show up to hear that because they thought they were saved because they, they prayed this prayer, but there was never any transformation in their life. There was any, never any fruit to show that was genuine. And little do they know, the devil did a really good job of fooling them that they were still just slaves. And so my, my challenge this morning is only Christ can unlock these things. Only Christ can set us free. And my challenge is this morning is that if you have not been set free, like let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day you actually come to Jesus. And this time maybe your eyes are open and you realize I'm now coming to the Jesus, Jesus for real this time. And so I'm gonna invite you. I'll, I'll talk to like believers in a second, but I wanna invite everyone, just close your eyes for a second. If you realize that you, have, you are a slave, stuck in your slavery to sin, and if Jesus looked at you right now, if you came face to face with the cross, whether you're the church goer but it's never really your faith, whether you're the person who just says you're indifferent or different and religion's not your thing, whether you're the person who's bitter because of how life has went and how could God be good, whether if you're the person who says I'm too far gone, God can't love me, he can't forgive me for this, or whether you're the person that you realize that you need God, but man, I gotta clean myself up and get my act right before I come to him. What, wherever you might be, Jesus says, I love you and I see you and I have a purpose for your life and I want you. But he's not gonna force it. And so I ask if that's you, this isn't to be a spectacle in front of people. We have people that wanna pray for you and lead you to salvation and what that means to be a part of the body of Christ. I wanna ask, will you be bold, all eyes are closed, will you just raise your hand and step into a child of God? Amen, who else? Amen, I need some. 
keep your hands raised. They're coming to you. Thank you, thank you. Any, anybody else? Praise God. As y'all um, open your eyes, I just wanna challenge believers real quick before we go into a time of worship and really just time with the Lord that, you know, one of the biggest lies of salvation is that it's all about forgiveness. And I'm gonna say it one more time. Praise God for what he's doing, amen. Um, yeah. One, one of the biggest lies, I'll say it again, one of the biggest lies about salvation is that it's all about forgiveness. What do I mean by that? God saves us from our sin, our bondage, from our lifestyle of sin and from the penalty of sin. But he didn't just save us to, to leave us with a blank slate. He didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. He didn't just, the, the greatest miracle wasn't him washing the, our sins as white as snow away by his blood. It was we get to be with Christ. The same way Adam and Eve walked with him in the cool of the garden day by day, we get to be in relationship. Eternal life is, John 17, three says, eternal life is this, knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord. We get to be a child of God, but not just for the sake of not being punished, but for the sake of being with the Father. And I think a lot of times in the Christian life, there can be such an emphasis on forgiveness that we miss that we were saved from this life to walk in a new way of life. Galatians 5.1 says, now that you've been buried and crucified and baptized in Christ's death, therefore walk in new life. We're called to walk in righteousness, to walk by the Spirit, to walk in a new life. And so I think a lot of times we boil down the Christian life. So I got saved, I was on fire, then I kind of fell off a little bit, then I kind of got back on track. Now I go to church on Sunday, group on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever. I have about three or four 10-minute windows throughout the week I'm in the Word. Life's going pretty good. And then I read stuff that David says where he says, oh, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, if, if I just had one wish, one request before the king, he says that I could be bowed down, prostrated before you, gazing on the beauty of the Lord of his face in his temple. And I'm like, where is that in my life? As a believer, is the fullness of Christ beholding him and yearning him and loving him, has it boiled down to like just a few 10-minute segments? Where is it when Paul says, I consider everything that's been a gain to me, meaning every blessing, every circumstance, every good thing, every happy thing, I consider everything that's a gain to me in the world's eyes as a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, just knowing him more, just being with him. It's like the, it's like the little son that has a great father who spends time with him frequently, and he trusts him, and he's five years old, and he says, son, hey, grab your bag, we're getting in the car. The son's not worried about, hey, dad, where are we going? Where are we stopping for eat? Where He's not worried about all the details. It's like, my father, he's taking care of me. I'm just, he's just excited to be with him. And my, I beseech, I urge, is my, my, my prayer this morning, is that if we are believers, if these chains have, have, have been set free, we have been broken in Christ, are we walking in the fullness of Christ? Or have we settled, honestly, for just a spiritual minimum? How we just compartmentalize our faith and feel good enough about it to be comfortable wherever, but whether it's just blatant sin, whether it's this, it, although we're saved, it says like a doll returning to his own vomit, sometimes we walk right back into the very chains he saved us from. And whether it's, it's chains, you've gotta come back to Jesus to get free from again, I, that doesn't change your salvation or identity, but it does change your fellowship with God. That's a lot in a little sentence. 
But I think if I could be clear, John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I've come so you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant means overflowing. And when I look around in my life and so many others, I feel like I see a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they've still got a, they've still got a little bondage over here. Still seeking the Lord a little bit over here. I want us to be believers to say, I want to walk in that abundant life. If there is a fullness, if there is a joy, if there is a presence you have for me to walk in daily, a purpose that's greater than myself, if every part of my life is not about glorifying you, I got to go back to the drawing board. It's got to change. When was it okay to not burn for God's heart? When was it okay to not break for what breaks is? When was it okay to not seek him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? When did it become okay or acceptable or normal? The bars kept set, getting set lower and lower and lower. That, that's great. There's a lot of hype around salvation. Now just kind of get in a small room. Now just have like be consistent in the word. And man, like you're A plus. Man, to heck with that. I've come so you may have life and have it abundantly. I, I don't even wanna try to describe what that looks like, but what I do wanna say is this. My prayers this morning there would be a revival in the hearts of believers. There would be a fire that burns so hot and so bright we couldn't keep it to ourselves. There would be a hunger and a thirst for Christ that drowns out all the chains, all the temptations and everything else. Maybe they're just good things in your life. And so as we go into worship, I didn't mean for this to, to feel heavy, but I do mean for it to be real. Could you just be honest with God? Maybe your prayer is God, I need someone to pray for me because I gotta confess this sin that I've been holding on to. I gotta break this chain again. And maybe your prayer's like, I can't point to one, I can't point to one specific chain, but I'm just okay with how my life's going and I don't really burn for Jesus. He's just a part of my life, he's not my life. And you're kind of blinded by the comfort things of this world and just kind of little sins here and there adding up. And I would just say, wherever you're at, I can't imagine where you are, but God sees you. Would you just be real with Jesus? And what would it look like if we were a church who burned for nothing but Christ? Jesus took 12 disciples and look, look where we're at today, 2,000 years later. There's a lot more than 12 believers in this room. There's no telling what peoples would be reached, what nations would be reached, what churches would be planted, what small groups would be multiplying, what places in Tombs County would be loved and fed and, and taken care of and preached to. Like there is no, the, the school systems, the colleges, there is no limit to what God will do with one man or one woman, one, one woman who says, all I care about is knowing you and obeying you. All I care about is loving you and saying yes. If you get, John Wesley says, give me a hundred men who will say nothing but yes to Christ and I'll give you a hundred men that'll change the world. And look what Jesus did with 12. And so my prayer, can we ask God to shake us out of this comfort, this cage, and this rust and dust and say, Lord, put a fire in us again. Jesus, thank you for this time, Father. Thank you for this time of worship. I pray the chains fall off, Lord, and that we will burn for you in Jesus' name. Amen.